Did anybody grow up on the East Coast and ever play in the water spray of fountains? No one at this service. They, oh, okay, they took a minute to admit that. But, you know, <clears throat> only because in Southern California it's not a thing. Uh, we, we don't really understand it. We've all seen pictures like this of, uh, you know, kids playing and that sort of thing. But when I went back uh, to visit our daughter in uh, Brooklyn during the summer, we actually got to see it. And it was live, and it was so much fun to see kids playing. And there were neighbors uh, out uh, around. They were hanging out. They were talking. And uh, as I watched this, I had three different responses. Uh, the first was because Carolyn wasn't there, and all I could think was, you have got to see this. Uh, uh, but then my Southern California, you know, person kicked in, and I saw all that water, you know, in the times of drought, right? And... and you know, I thought, we, we have to do something about this. And, uh, and then as I began to think, you know, it would be a pretty big hassle to get Carolyn back here to see this. And I'm not part of whatever we uh, should be doing something about this. And, and so I kind of I just came to the third spot, which is, you know, I'm not really into this. And just kind of moved on. Uh, now, those three responses... Are we find them in the Palm, story, Palm Sunday story. When Jesus is coming in uh, to Jerusalem, those same three responses are given by different groups as Jesus comes in. And we're going to take a look at all three of those. Uh, you know the story. Jesus rode in on a donkey, and some people laid uh, their clothes in front of him for him to walk on, and others were waving palm branches and shouting, and that's just the short version of the story. All four Gospels tell the story, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be looking at John chapter 12 uh, particularly and digging into the story, and finding out uh, how people responded. But the story actually begins a chapter earlier in John chapter 11. That's when uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the tomb. And often we tell that story separate from Palm Sunday. But it's an integral part of Palm Sunday because um, the, the place where that happened was a suburb of Jerusalem. It was an easy walk from one to the other. And people knew Lazarus. Uh, and so when, they, when he rose from the dead... Wow, that was huge. He had been dead for four days. And Jesus told the people to roll the stone out of the way. And then he called out, Lazarus, come forth. And out came a mummy, a, a person wrapped like a mummy. And, and they, Jesus said, unwrap him and, and feed him. And uh, there was so much excitement that even before Jesus rode in on the donkey, things were happening. So in John chapter 12, verse 9, it says this, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So Jesus raising Lazarus had gone viral. You know, people were so excited to see this. And these were the high holy days. And so tens of thousands of people were pouring into Jerusalem and they were hearing the stories. And it was a lot like the excitement that we have around Palm Sunday and Easter. Uh, and just before we jump into all of that excitement and the response of all of those people, I, I want us to acknowledge that there were folks back then and there are folks now who, for good reason, really had the response, I, I'm not really into this. Uh, 
that they they just they just they just it just didn't motivate them very much and so Carolyn and I, our family, we love the Southwest. We have traveled so many places, um, Grand Canyon and uh, Monument Valley and Zion and all of these places and everywhere in between. And our favorite trip was with our best friends. They had four in their family. We had four in our family. We took two vans and, and went around for 10 days around all of these places. And in addition to uh, the four of them, they, they brought an uncle with them who was a delightful man, and uh, he had some physical limitations, but it really didn't slow us down at all until we got to Bryce Canyon. Now, this was interesting. Bryce is just this beautiful place, uh, and um, something happened uh, when we got there. It's this amazing chasm filled with you know, bright orange uh, columns, and, and you can go hiking and all of that. But when we got there, uh, the parking lot pulls right up to the canyon. It's interesting. You know, people designed these national parks, you know, I, I'm going to guess for lazy Americans. They said, you know, we've got to put the parking lot right next to whatever we're trying to show them. So at Bryce, there's literally huge parking lot, sidewalk, wooden rail fence, canyon. It's, it's right there. Uh, and so as all of us were getting out of the car and we were put, getting our sunscreen on and our water bottles and our backpacks, uh, the uncle stayed in the car. And we all began to move off. And the last people leaving said, aren't you coming? And he said, no, I'm, I'm not coming. Uh, and it was, it was disappointing for us. We weren't mad, but, uh, but we were sad that he, he was missing out on this. Uh, but the thing is, is that it's a canyon. So, you know, you can be right next to it, sitting in your car, and not see it. All you see is blue skies, because you have to walk up to it and then look down into the canyon. And it is awe-inspiring and amazing landscapes. And about two million people went to see Bryce Canyon uh, and parked in that parking lot that year. One of them didn't see the canyon. Um, and there isn't any better way to communicate, I'm just not that into it, uh, than, than that. And as I say, no one was mad at him, but we were disappointed for him. He was so close to something beautiful, and he missed it. And I, I think both those kinds of people are there at Palm Sunday, that original day. Those uh, who uh, just aren't that into it, and those who are sad for them, that they missed it. In the middle of tens of thousands of shouting, uh, cheering people, uh, people were not moved. And I speak for myself, and I think for many of us, when we say we're not mad, we're, just, we're disappointed. Because the people, these people today are our neighbors. They're the people that we work with. They, we're married, some of us, to them. And some of them are our children who just say, you know, I'm just not that into it. Uh, and that was the case then too. John 12, 20, 34 says, The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So this is a concrete question asked by people who aren't that into it. They, they ask this very specific, as I say, concrete question. Today, people are asking those same kinds of questions. Today, it might be something more like, how can a loving God uh, allow evil and suffering and injustice? And if we're honest, 
some of us have those same kinds of questions. Um, and we understand when friends and loved ones would rather sit in the parking lot playing a game than to come in to our celebration. Some of us have been those people, and we wish that the Bible would be clearer. Listen, they're, they're asking a concrete question. Don't you have a concrete answer? Can't we just solve it? Can't we, couldn't we just explain it enough that people would be interested? I, I'm uh, No. <laughs> I, I wish I had a better answer. But actually, Jesus doesn't even give those kinds of answers. So we're going to look back. We're going to read chapter, verse 34 again. But I want you to read very clearly 34, 35, 36. I want you to hear Jesus' response. So it says, The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. While Walk while you have light, because darkness overtakes you, before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Ah! Oh, I mean, I know people, they, they, you, some of us work so hard to bring a loved one to church, and we're just praying that preacher will give them a good sermon, right? And, and that's what happens. These people, they ask this concrete question. They say, uh, we've heard that the Messiah is supposed to last forever. How can you say the Son of Man's going to be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus says, believe in the light. And you want to go, Just one thing, Jesus, it was you, had, you had one job, convince the, our friends, right? And, and he wouldn't do it, but why? Because they're asking concrete questions about very practical, linear kinds of things, and he's trying to describe a transcendent reality. It's a kingdom of light. The things you're asking about don't connect. There isn't a connection between the concrete you're describing and the transcendent light versus darkness that we're talking about. But he invited them anyway. He said, take a look at it in a different way. Look at it differently. And that's, that's Jesus' response, I think, all the time. Uh, but we keep trying to give people concrete answers. We did it, Bryce. Uh, you know, we said to him, listen, it's right there. It's not, it's not very far. And um, you know what? We want to take a group photo, and we want you in it. And you may not have another chance to, to come and see this. And we even got the brochure out, you know, to show him how beautiful it was. You should see this. It, 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 it didn't phase uh, him. He just wasn't into it. And neither were those people on Palm Sunday. And it's interesting. You cannot give enough concrete answers to get people over the edge. And, you know, we just need to, to realize that. That's not about them or against them. But here, listen to verse 37. So the verse just kept on going. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Remember, Lazarus was there. He was back from the dead. He, this isn't like you know, us saying, oh, well, you know, we heard about something over in Africa, but we don't know if it's true. We don't know the details. They knew the details. They knew Lazarus. They went to his funeral he was dead for four days, and then he rose from the dead, and he was walking around going, I'm alive, and Jesus did it. And yet, people wouldn't believe. 
So we know that, that people have concrete questions, and some of us do, and people who are attending church do. And uh, we won't ask you to give up your concrete questions, but the Bryce Canyon experience mirrors, I, I think, our disappointment when we say, we wish, we, could, we wish you could show it to you in words and language and images that, you, that would convince you, but we want you to know there's a transcendent beauty, and it's very close, and we, we'll keep trying to invite you and explain it to you. Um, Palm Sunday is just the beginning of this unbelievable week that goes to Good Friday where Jesus gives himself for everyone because God loves everyone so much. And it, would be, it was the worst day in history, but it would have been even worse had Easter not happened. But Easter did happen, and Jesus rose from the dead. Um, so the offer is we can't always give a concrete answer, but we can tell you there's hope. There's goodness. There's, there's a transcendent reality of light versus darkness over here. We want to invite you into it. Well, that was Bryce Canyon, uh, but Bryce was nothing compared to the Grand Canyon because uh, we got to the Grand Canyon, and how many have been there and looked over the edge and seen the, right? Lots of us. Uh, and they did this amazing job. They put outlooks right over the edge, and then there's this path that goes for miles alongside the edge of a 6,000-foot drop. The, I, 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 I was terrified for my girls. I had to hold on to them. I wouldn't let them get close. I just couldn't even look at people who were, whose kids were over there, you know, going, whoo, you know, it's just like, ah. And, and so I had a second response. I totally responded, we have got to do something about this. It just was the natural reaction out of me. And, and you know, what am I going to do? Put up a, a petition for a chain link fence at the Grand Canyon? That's never going to work. Um, but it's interesting uh, to me that I would see this unbelievable thing, this Grand Canyon, this beautiful, miraculous piece of uh, the landscape. And my first would, reaction would be, we have to do something about this. Well, that's what happened with the Pharisees, with, with, with the chief priests, the most religious people. Um, instead of celebrating with everybody else, they saw Jesus as a problem that needed to be solved, not someone to be celebrated. They felt they needed to do something about him because he threatened them. He threatened their religious and political stability. So he, they said, if we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him. Okay, that, you know, we'd say that's a good thing. And they said, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So, wow, I want to say, is this scripture or is this a headline out of today's newspaper? You know, with religious institutions. I, I'm sorry to admit, but I confess, religious institutions seek to defend themselves. They... Um, Religious institutions protect themselves, and they, we, we sometimes, and I include myself in this, but in the world, we'll hide things that shouldn't be hidden in order to protect ourselves. Uh, that's not right. These religious leaders, in order to maintain their existence, were willing to let go of dismiss their deepest core values, even the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. They're like, we're going to break all our laws to protect what we believe. 
I don't, I don't, that's not how it works. In John 11, it says, from that day on, they plotted to take Jesus' life. They didn't just talk about taking Jesus' life. You know, we ought to kill this guy. No, they planned it. They said, which one of his disciples could we pay to betray him? And they found one. They were, they were working on this. Um, and compromising our values for the sake of power is a slippery slope. Uh, and it, so what happens was it became clear to them that Lazarus was this celebrity uh, and he was an eyewitness to his own resurrection. So they expanded their plan to include him as well. It says, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. This is as good a conspiracy or murder mystery as, as any we could make up today. Here they are. They're going to um, kill the ringleader and bury all the evidence. The chief priests made plans to kill Jesus and Lazarus to maintain the status quo. So in John eleven forty nine, it says, Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. How do we get so far from the truth of what we believe? How do people get to that point? Committed to their faith so much that they act exactly the opposite of their faith. And what's so sad is they saw Lazarus alive. They knew what Jesus had done. And, and the rest of us go, well, who, who else could raise the dead? It must be the Messiah. And they said, who else can raise the dead? We got to kill him. They, they saw Jesus as healing and loving and yet were so caught up in their own belief systems, their own structures, their preconceived notions of how God works or their desire to maintain their own agenda and their own power, that their response was not praise, it was disbelief and death. So there's a huge disconnect between the religious leaders and the religious followers, because the followers were, were saying, oh my gosh, he's fulfilling prophecy, he's raising the dead, this must be the Messiah. It was so astounding that they just had to say, you have got to see this. Wow, what a better refreshing response than the other. So Carolyn and I took a, a trip by ourselves uh, and we went to Arches National Park and, and, uh, in Utah. And oh, Arches is amazing. And they have all kinds of uh, different things to look at, you know. Uh, and one thing we were doing was just kind of hiking and walking along a, a, a wall, at this, this cliff of a couple hundred feet high of stone that went on for maybe a half a mile or a mile and we were just walking along it looking and looking out at everything else and as we were going I looked up and several stories up so I don't know how high that is but it's a long way I saw a crack in this wall and otherwise it continued up for another hundred feet just amazing and but as I looked I thought you know what I I think I could scramble up there so I left Carolyn on the ground and I scrambled up to this place. And what looked like a crack from the ground was actually a five-foot wide passage that had still a hundred feet of rock above it. So it's this narrow 
passage, and it goes about 20 or 30 yards, and then I could see light at the other end. And I thought, oh, I got I to gotta look. And I kind of creep my way along, and as I get close to the other end, I realize, you know, I, Carolyn can't see me. She can't hear me if I call out. But I, I look around the edge, and it opens up into a room almost this big, an area as big as this room. It's a circular area with still those 100-foot walls, the complete thing, completely enclosed, one way in, one way out, my little crack. Oh, this is awe-inspiring. I mean, it might have been Indians that were the last human beings to see this place. There's no signs that say, you know, look at the crack. It, it just was, and, and, the, and this was amazing. In the middle was a pool of water. In August, in Utah, when it's so hot, there was still a pool of water. It was the color of the sandstone that we're in. You couldn't see through it, but it was, it was oh my gosh. And just around the edge, there was like a five-foot rim you could walk along in the sand. I wanted to. I wanted to go all the way around, and I wanted to walk up and feel the water. But I've seen too many movies, and I, I, I just thought, what tentacle could reach out? from there so I so I'm, I'm I'm now I'm not thinking Carolyn can't hear me call out Carolyn won't be able to hear me scream if I'm being something so I just I just look and I think I just want to go over and I took a deep breath and then I chickened out and I ran back through the crack but I got to Carolyn I got to the top and I looked down at Carolyn and and you know what I shouted you have got to see this. She didn't come up, but, but she, oh my gosh, I couldn't talk about anything else. That's all I talked about for the rest of the day. Oh, this amazing place that, that only I had seen. And, and whenever we talk about that particular trip, the first thing I talk about is that experience. And clearly, I'm talking about it today as well. So, Tens of thousands of people lined the streets uh, of Jerusalem, excited and thrilled about seeing a man raised from the dead. They're like, you have got to see this, and why not? Um, Jesus, they th thought he must be the Messiah that's foretold in scriptures. Who else can raise people from the dead? And they were convinced. <coughs> so listen to what they shouted. The next day... The great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what's fun about this is that the crowd was no longer interested in Lazarus the celebrity. They were celebrating and praising a Savior who had come. And what's wonderful about this text is that they went back to the Old Testament scriptures uh, to, to learn what it is they're supposed to shout. Because, now I don't think they actually, you know, flip back. I think they knew uh, Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is this great text. Here it says, it says, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Okay, please save us is English translating the word Hosanna. Hosanna means please save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So 
you know, when we say or when kids sing, this is the day that the Lord has made, you know, we mean today, yesterday, tomorrow, our good days, our bad days, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's not what they meant. That's not what the psalmist meant. He wrote this text a thousand years before Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And even before this text, he talks about the, the stone that was rejected by the builders has become the chief cornerstone. Another familiar passage about uh, the Messiah. So this is, Psalm 118 is a prophetic message about the Messiah. And what it means is, when the Messiah comes to Jerusalem and enters in, that day is the day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. And we will shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the people around in Jerusalem, they understood, oh, this is that day. It's here. We get to see it. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh my gosh. It was so fantastic. And for them, it was a concrete reality. They couldn't stop talking about it. After this comes Good Friday, and Jesus dies. But after that comes Easter, and he's risen. And for the rest of their lives, they couldn't stop talking about it. And we're still talking about it. But I want you to understand, they weren't talking about it because it's in the Bible. They were talking about it because it is true. Because they saw it. Because they talked to people who saw it. And we're talking about it today, not because it's in the Bible, but because it's true. Because people who saw it wrote it down in the Bible. They're just recording what they already knew was true. They wrote it down because it happened. So forgive us if we're getting a little excited about this unbelievable thing. You've got to see this. And we're always frustrated that we can't communicate it in a way that people will go, oh, I want it too. But we want to keep trying. We want to keep trying to say it's this transcendent reality and we don't have all the answers, but it's true. So I want you to think about a couple next steps, things that you could do this week. I want you to describe something that you believe, and how would you describe it to someone who doesn't believe? Wow, that's a much easier sentence to say than activity to do. Describe something you believe, and how would you describe it to someone who doesn't believe? That's, that takes a lot of thought. But what we don't want to do is just say the Bible says. Because it didn't, we don't believe it because the Bible says. We believe it because it happened. So how do, we, how do we talk about that? That's an interesting thing to think about. And then secondly, what experience at Stonebridge would you invite someone to by saying, you have got to see this? What is, is it a service? Is it Good Friday? Is it an event? Is it an activity? Uh, even a, a growth group? What would you say, you have got to see this? And if you've got something like that, what holds you back from inviting them? And just think about that too. So these events surrounding Palm Sunday elicited these three different responses. I want to just say all of us can have all three responses at different times. I want to warn us. 
I believe this story of Palm Sunday is a warning to successful believers. Because if we're successful in our business or, uh, you know, in, in our, even if we're successful in politics uh, or, like me, we're successful in, in leading churches, there's a warning in this. Be careful that you don't move from you've got to see this to we've got to do something about this. See, the more successful we are, the more things we have, the more we want to protect them. The more we're willing to compromise our values in order to hold on to what we have. It doesn't matter who gets hurt as long as we get to keep what we have. That's a message from Palm Sunday, and we need to be very careful about it. Um, I would say, though, that most of us have that reaction. You have got to see this. And if you're a regular member or a tender, uh, I hope that you, your excitement and enthusiasm, it continues to grow. But uh, not because it's written in the Bible, but because it's written in your heart, because you experience it regularly, that you're growing and discovering God in such fresh ways that it naturally overflows into ways that are contagious for others, that they say, man, I think I got to see this too. Um, whether it's maybe something you invite someone to this week or maybe in the future you invite someone, just keep that in your mind. you got to see this. And I can also imagine that there are people here today, there will be people here next week, who are fall into that other third category. I, I'm, I'm not really into this. Uh, a lot of times it's because mom made us come, right, especially to Easter. Uh, but for some reason we're here. What, if, if you're in that situation we, we just want you to know this is a community where we welcome concrete questions. We don't have necessarily concrete answers, but we have, uh, it's a place that's safe. It's safe for people who question, who doubt, who are on a journey, because every one of us is on a journey. And almost all of us have been in that place where, where we were willing to let it go. Stonebridge is a safe place to extor, explore those questions. So I, I just want to say... I'm going to keep saying, you got to see this. And I am into it. We're into it because it has changed our lives. And I want to invite us, no matter how long we've been here or whether we completely understand it or not, let's be into it.